This podcast brought to you by the Information Architecture Institute. Through education, advocacy, services, and social networking, the IAI has 1,400 members from 80 countries demonstrating the value of information architecture to the world at large. By the IDEA Conference. IDEA brings together the world's foremost thinkers and practitioners, sharing the big ideas that inspire, along with practical solutions for the ways people's lives and systems are converging to affect society. And by Boxes and Arrows. Visit boxesandarrows.com slash about slash participate to be a part of your peer-written journal. And special thanks to Axure, Moray, and iRise for their sponsorship of Boxes and Arrows, as well as the many other sponsors of the IDEA Conference. Fifteen years ago, we thought we were about to embark on a revolution and pioneer a new way of doing business. Back in the day, we passionately believed we could change the world of commerce, communications, and culture. In the digital world, UX was the key definer for value. We created a methodology, a lexicon, and an entire industry around making valuable user experiences. UX design, which used to mean one thing, now needs to embrace a new set of users and behavioral characteristics. Jeff Dacus, co-founder of Razorfish, describes archetypes for social business design, including ecosystem, hive mind, dynamic signal, and metafilter, which he believes can help the discipline have a profound effect on the world of commerce, communications, and culture in today's business climate. I hope everyone enjoys the podcast. Cheers. As Russ indicated, um, I have another company that I started recently called the Dachas Group, and it's a bunch of smart folks that are getting together to help businesses apply social technologies and social computing to business problems. And uh, I, I had my roots, though, in, a, in, a, in, in user experience design a long, a long while back. Um, about 15 years ago, we, we thought we were on to something. We thought we were uh, about to create a revolution in, in uh, communications. And for the most part, um, you know, back in the day, let's see if this is not working now. There we go. Um, <laughs> we toiled long hours with giant CRT screens and and tried to develop um, user experiences that were that were meaningful. We we passionately believed that we could change the world of commerce, uh, communications, and culture. Uh, this is something that I hold near and dear to my heart. It's something that I believe passionately in. And we developed a, a saying: everything that can be digital will be. And the reason for this is because everything that's digital is better, it's faster, and it's cheaper. If you can do something digitally, why wouldn't you? If it's better, faster, and cheaper. We realized that user experience in the digital world would be the key definer of value. So that if all things are sort of equal, if, if my processor is the same speed as your processor, and my LCD screen does the same thing your LCD screen does, and my um, servers are as fast as yours, and my security is as good as yours, and all of the technology components are really the same or commoditized in many ways, the only thing that's of any real value is the user experience. So in the digital world, user experience was the key definer of value. And I think everybody here probably believes that, right? Anyone not believe? No? You don't believe the user experience is the key to find our value? All right. We can talk about it after. <laughs> and at Razorfish, we created a methodology and a lexicon and an entire industry around making valuable user experiences. We also got laughed at a lot. 
we did this on and off screen. This is a picture of the soda phone. Um, it's a soda machine that we set up so that you could call and uh, the soda would, uh, whatever button you pressed, that soda would show up in, in, the, in the little container at the, at the bottom of the machine and you would get billed on your, on your phone for sodas. Now, nobody here buys soda with their phone, do they? Anyone? Pop? Pop? Yes. I'm from Minneapolis, so pop. Pop is what we use, but in New York they call it soda. In Texas they call it soda. That's where I'm from now. So uh, companies began to see the value in digital experiences, and our company and our business began to grow. It, it actually began to grow, grow dramatically. And as we started to proffer up this idea that user experience design was the key definer of value, we got a seat at the strategic table. So what used to be design and designers, the creative folks, um, all of a sudden became strategic. And you saw the rise of companies like IDEO or companies like Frog Design start to become strategic partners in the development of businesses. And you know what? We were right. Things got very good. Having a, strategic, a seat at the strategic table, uh, our business began to grow dramatically. We started to have an effect on the way businesses were created. User experience was the key to finding our value, and people wanted solid user experiences to create their digital businesses. Things were really good. Then we were wrong. The bubble burst, and uh, horrible things happened, and everybody determined that user experience wasn't the key definer of value, and that the internet boom and all digital things were not important, and everything that we had always believed in was wrong, and uh, and th that we were fraudsters, and that we were uh, that a lot of chicanery was going on, and and the fact is that at that time that's what people believed, and we got laughed at. Um, quite a bit, actually. Um, <laughs> that, <laughs> uh, and then, remarkably, things changed again um, a lot. And the world shifted its focus in many ways, and digital wasn't all that important anymore for a period of time, and people weren't really thinking about it much, and there was sort of like internet wasteland. Um, in 2002 and in 2003, there was just not a lot going on. And um, the business shifted and a lot of the jobs evaporated and things just changed dramatically. But then we were right again, sort of, and things changed again. Google, Google came out and uh, they went public, which for some reason stock and, and the digital business are, are connected, uh, which they shouldn't be, and I, I don't necessarily agree that they should, but, but Google showed everybody that you could make money online. That all those thoughts around eyeballs and page views um, that everybody thought were hype-filled you know, in the late 90s became uh, validated by Google's search engine optimization uh, capabilities and the ability to make money off of those environments. Um, gradually, other things started to emerge. Things like Friendster. Um, does anyone here still have a Friendster account? <laughs> Did any, does, who here had a Friendster account and now doesn't? Okay, not too many. How about MySpace? How about Facebook? All right. So today, uh, things are different, and we live in a networked economy, sort of. Um, while 
we believe that the networked economy and that that uh, this environment is going to become a dramatic, you know, uh, have dramatic effects on on the way we work. The, the fact is, is that it's not quite there yet. We're not quite there. We are probably early believers or early adopters, and we all probably utilize all of the technologies that are out there. But the fact is, is that the rest of the world or the rest of the economy hasn't quite caught up yet, and that's kind of a good thing. Um, this networked economy is made up of different nodes, different hubs, and different constituents with all different connection levels and different signals. And the field of user experience has had to evolve to meet these changes in the environment as well. What used to be UX, information architecture, visual, inter visual design and interface design, um, now have to encompass many new elements, things like hardware or industrial design or different form factors and different forms of interface design. And these have to embrace new facets of this new fully networked digital economy. User experience design has really become more like business design. And fortunately, in business design, you actually get to have a seat at the table again. Now, you can see in this, I'm going to walk around a little bit. I hate being behind this thing. I'm sorry. i got to break out. Can you guys hear me okay? Yeah? Cool. Um, you can see in, in this particular diagram, the user experience that we're, that we're normally comfortable with or that you normally think thought of as interface design or information architecture or visual design now encompasses so many different things. It's an ecosystem of cloud-based services, of products, of developers, of content, of commerce, both retail and online, of support services, of applications that exist, and of the supply chain that supports this digital ecosystem. This is the new, or a new version, of what user experience design needs to encompass. It needs to encompass a fully connected network ecosystem of suppliers, partners, vendors, shareholders, customers, and employees. That's the ecosystem that we're talking about now. That's the user experience and the user constituents that we need to be designing for now. And those are, and this is the new way, I think, that the digital economy and the digital frame of business is going to go down or go up. I mean, going to happen. I'm using hipster language there. Um, but don't get comfy because things are going to change again. Um, business design is interesting, but, and now I just have to insert, and I, I'm going to shout out to my colleague, David Armano, who helped me with this. Um, oh, wow, I get the whole, all right, cool. Um, David Armano helped me create the obligatory pillars of the house diagram. I don't know if you guys are comfortable or familiar with the obligatory pillars of the house diagram, but uh, these are the pillars of the house for experience design. The basics, which are often broken, usefulness, usable, desirable, potentially sustainable, and focusing on typically users that, you, that, are, that are touching the interface and, uh, and business goals. But things are changing, and, and these building blocks of experience design have to change. Now, things have shifted, and there's this new layer that we call social. And that's, I guess, what the conference is about, and, and I think what's most interesting. Social now has to relate to a whole ecosystem of constituents, external customers, internal constituents, and then business partner optimization and supply chain. 
all of those elements in the ecosystem now need to be addressed, and social is the connector. User experience design, which used to mean one thing, now needs to embrace a whole new set of behaviors and characteristics. And we need a framework to develop the, these new valuable user experiences. And I may get laughed at again. Social business design. Social business design is the framework that we developed to understand and think about all of these multifaceted users, the constituents that are in them, and the way they participate and collaborate and are active inside a business ecosystem. And social enables all that to happen in a, in a, in a meaningful way. Some of the key trends that exist in work, we're seeing a fully connected universe of global business. We're seeing suppliers that are being sourced from all around the world. We're seeing marketplace and customers that are being sourced from all around the world. So big businesses now, today, are truly global. They're really, there really is a global marketplace. Um, trends in society. You have an entirely new group of millennials that are coming into the marketplace today, both as consumers and as workers, that only know how to communicate, participate, share, and collaborate. They've grown up connected and, and, and completely familiar with and comfortable with communicating and connecting in this way. And then technology. I mean, faster hard drives, faster processing power, increasingly micro, uh, increasingly smaller form factors. Um, unlimited bandwidth, uh, wireless is in, in many, many places. All of these things together, which we thought of 15 years ago, are now coming to, to bear today in a fully networked environment. So, so social trends, uh, commercial trends, and um, technology trends are all coming to bear to create the, 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 the needs for social business design. Oh, sorry, I was a slide back there, sorry. Um, there are four archetypes that we think need to be present in every business for social business design to be successful. Four archetypes. And we've boiled it down and we think these four archetypes are the, are the main drivers for success in a social business world. The first one being ecosystem. Now, ecosystem is just your connections. Now, what used to be your main, your, what a business used to think of as their main connections was their customers. Let's connect to our customers. Or what they used to think of as their connections were their employees. So let's just make sure our employees are connected. And what they used to think of as their suppliers. Let's just make sure our suppliers are connected. But why not connect your, employee, your customers to your employees to your suppliers? How come you're all not connected? How come that ecosystem isn't all completely connected? So ecosystem is about connections. Moreover, how come a business's ecosystem isn't all of the potential customers that are out there or all of the potential employees that are out there or all of the potential suppliers that are out there? What if you could tap into the voice of the potential customer or the voice of the potential supplier or the voice of the potential employee or the community that a business operates in? All of those components, both the core ecosystem and the external ecosystem, all need to be connected to make a successful ecosystem and for social business design to be successful. Now, 
there are characteristics for user experience design that need to be present when thinking about ecosystem. And this is just a few of them, and there are quite a few more. But design, user experience design needs to have an awareness of others within the ecosystem. It needs to actively seek or enable connections. It needs to identify, have, provide, provide an identity and profiles for the individuals that are in that ecosystem. And it needs to enable the building of reputation. And there are some, some examples you can see where, where and, and many of you are familiar with this, but for business, it, it doesn't necessarily work this way. Inside a company, you don't automatically go and set up a profile, and you don't automatically seek out all of the people that you're connected to or potentially connected to, and you don't automatically drive um, relationships with all of those connections. And that's what we're looking for business to do is to establish those ecosystems. The second archetype that we think is crucial for social business design to succeed is a hive-mindedness. And hive-mindedness isn't a technology thing. It's a cultural thing. It's a, it's a willingness to participate. It's a company's willingness to put forth its information, willingness to share ideas, willingness to connect and to, to collaborate. And for most businesses, they're pretty antisocial. Most businesses don't really want to connect. They don't really want to collaborate. They don't really want to share and participate. Most of the information inside the businesses that you guys work at today is sitting on your desktops. It's not shared, right? Most, most of the information sits on companies' desktops and isn't searchable, taggable, sortable, or, or findable. So hive-mindedness is a crucial component to social business design, and we can design for it in user experience. We can increase responsibility to contribute. You can provide environments that motivate, reward, and incentivize participation. You can provide and identify opportunities to contribute, and you can identify opportunities to collaborate. And experience design should embrace hive-mindedness as a core function of what it does. And for it to be successful in this new economy, you're going to need to have a hive-minded business culture. There are some examples, of course, in, in showing uh, ways in which you can build hive-mindedness into your user experiences so that you can en enable people to contribute, participate, and collaborate more. Dynamic signal is the third archetype. And what we talk about dynamic signal is, is it's communication as work, not for work. You don't want to have to document your work product. You want to just be communicating as you work. And many of you do already. Many of you are working, and then you're Twittering, and you're working, and then you're yammering, and then you're working, and you're posting something to Facebook, and you're working, and you put something up at SlideShare, and then responding to the comments on Twitter, and responding to the comments on your blog, and responding to the comments on SlideShare. All that sort of becomes work. And then it's communication as work, not really for work. And all of this signal has to happen dynamically, because a, uh, uh, an ecosystem that's fully connected with a hive-minded culture that in, encourages people to participate is, an, is, is interesting on, in itself. But when you can decrease the time frame that people have to act on what they do at work, so, so you've expanded your ecosystem, and it's enormous now, and everybody's participating and communicating, and that's great. But now let's make the process more efficient. Hive, uh, dynamic signal is about process efficiency. Let's take what used to take 10 days to accomplish or two days to accomplish or one day to accomplish and make it happen in 
10 hours or two hours or one hour because you're able to respond to and connect to your constituents in a faster and more dynamic way because they're signaling more frequently and in new ways. The last function of social business design archetypes are, is metafilter. So now you've got this fully connected ecosystem and it's hive-minded and everybody's engaging and participating and they're doing it dynamically. So now you have an enormous amount of information and, and um, data flowing your way. In fact, Dynamic Signal, the previous archetype, encourages not only um, animate objects, people, to, to signal, but inanimate objects. You want to know when the, soda, when the pop machine is out of pop. You want to know when the truck has shown up at the distribution center. You want to know when um, the airplane has landed and the last passenger has gotten off. You want to know when the plane has re been refueled. All of those things can dynamically signal to a business manager or a group of people and um, create information flow. So what do you do with all that information? For the most part, it's today, it's a ton of noise, right? You guys, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an enormous amount of energy. If you're tracking and following and you're, you're Twittering and yammering and Facebooking and slide sharing and MySpacing and all of the ways in which um, today we socialize and connect and share and communicate and collaborate, it's a lot of noise. The only way to make sense of all that is to filter, tag, sort, and make meaning of it. And that's what the metafilter capability is. So those... Those four elements make up the social archetypes, the four archetypes that we talk about. So the, one of the, some of the ways that you can build a meta filter into user experience is look for ways to sort, take, tag, and, and organize the signal. Define constructs for measurement. Measurement's crucial because if you can't measure the, the signal that you're the, the filtering that's going on, how are you going to make any meaning of it and how are you going to make business decisions off that? Define the relevance, amplify the relevance, simplify and provide multiple presentation options. So for example, in many ways, tag clouds, for example, give you a feel for what's going on by providing a, a reasonable visual view of, of, of data sets. Datum, I don't know if you know the site Datum, provides some interesting ways to visualize data. In addition to measurement, um, the things that you want to measure once you've got a fully connected ecosystem of hive-minded, dynamically signaling, and now meta-filtered data um, is attention. How do you measure attention? How do you measure authority? How do you measure engagement? How do you measure virality and how do you measure the health of that ecosystem? So you may say, Jeff, okay, yeah, that you, I, I'm trying to understand what you just said. It's a lot of information. It sounds like a lot of buzzwords. What do you mean, really? Um, and why social business design? Well, the trends that are going on in the marketplace today plus the four archetypes as we've described them can yield leveraged and emergent outcomes. What kind of, what, what is a leveraged outcome? A leveraged outcome is an outcome that's greater than any outcome you could have achieved otherwise. It's completely leveraged by the size of the network. Metcalfe's law says that every additional node on your network gives you an exponential return to the value of that network. So if I can increase the size of my ecosystem from 100 employees to 1,000 potential employees and 100 customers to 
10,000 potential customers and 100 suppliers to 1,000 potential suppliers, now my ecosystem or my network has a huge amount of additional power. If I can now encourage that network to contribute and be hive-minded, if I can now encourage that network to be hive-minded in a dynamic way that increases the efficiency of that network, and if I can now filter, tag, sort, and make meaning of all of that dynamically signaled activity, I can yield leveraged outcomes. But what's even better about it is that things emerge. I didn't know that the supplier that I didn't know of before can, 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 can uh, supply my product cheaper than they could have before. And I didn't know that my customers wanted pink inner tubes on the bicycles with horns on them. Now I know. And things emerge that we didn't know of before. So highly leveraged outcomes are a result of social business design, and emergent outcomes are a result of social business design. Now, the archetypes manifest themselves in a couple of different ways, and uh, I'm nearing conclusion here. Um, customer participation and engagement is a way in which you can apply the archetypes that we talked about, and a lot of what you hear about today in social media marketing is, in effect, a ways for companies to engage their customers. Business partner optimization or supply chain optimization is another way that businesses can apply the four archetypes in social business design to achieve leveraged and emergent outcomes. And then workforce collaboration is another area where businesses can apply social business design and the four archetypes to achieve leveraged and emergent outcomes. And ideally, a business is taking all of these three areas and weaving them together in one larger social business design. And really, user experience is at the core and the heart of all of that thinking. So a hive-minded, dynamically signaling, meta-filtered ecosystem will perform exponentially better than one that is not, for all the reasons that I just described. And this is what a socially business design ecosystem might look like if you were, you know, Apple, for example. You've got suppliers, you've got hardware, you've got retail, you've got customer support, you've got developers, you're... RSS feeding stuff out, you've got a cloud-based environment, you've got a whole bunch of other components in your ecosystem by design that you didn't have before. And all of these things can help a business yield, again, exponentially greater returns. So today, we continue to define a new way of doing business. And I still, today, am more passionate than ever that we can have a profound effect on the world of commerce, communications, and culture. And there's nothing that I can say that more emphatically describes how I feel about the, not only the business that we're in, but the excitement that we have now at this historic sort of opportunity um, to do things in a new way. So thank you. So we have time for some questions and some more books to give away. As always, run down the rows with books. Um, hi, I just wanted to thank you for that uh, presentation. I thought it was just really applicable, especially since I've been doing some work 
um, with clients in some similar areas. I just had a question around, um, you know, I completely agree with some of the, the thoughts you were presenting, um, but when it comes to social media in the workplace, some of the things that um, we are hearing from our clients, it's, um, you know, I was just on a project where the employees, they're, they're asking for all of these things. They want RSS feeds. They want to be able to communicate with each other online. They want to be able to network within the organization, but from a company standpoint, they're mm -hmm. in a bit of a bind because from one point of view, okay, well, all these tools exist, like Twitter and Facebook and all that kind of stuff, but they're trying to, you know, there's obviously some, some risks from a company standpoint in terms of privacy, confidentiality, um, you know, even productivity and how much of that they want to support. The other option is to kind of create their own solution in-house, um, which proves to be kind of a costly, a costly initiative mm -hmm. to, you know, to be able to customize this platform, kind of consolidate everything into one space. Um, so I was just kind of wondering what your thoughts are on that in terms of helping organizations today get to um, this new state of social design. Great question, um, and it's something that we bump into quite a bit. I think social media, uh, as as you're describing it, is something that that uh, that companies are trying to figure out and wrestle with, and they haven't necessarily figured out what to do with it. They're using duct tape and bubble gum to um, come up with solutions. They're not really thinking about it strategically. They're trying to say, hmm, our, employ our employees want to get on Facebook, but how do we let them get on Facebook? We're a bank, and we can't, um, you know, we need, we need to, to stay compliant with the government. We need to be able to record all of the conversations that occur on our networks, and we can't if it's out on Facebook. So, so businesses are, are are really struggling with that. And so, one, you know, we, we offer and we, and we when we recommend companies to one think strategically about this. Don't think of Facebook and um, you know a, a Jive community product and a um, you know and Salesforce.com as 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 separate products, you know, think of them as an ecosystem that you need to um, weave together and coordinate with. There needs to be policy, there needs to be education, there needs to be training. Um, but at, at the core of all this, what you're seeing is businesses really, really struggling with experimenting in the space. And I think what they'll find, and I think every business is going to find this, that you can either be an open business or you can be a closed business. So if you if you want to be an open business, you have the opportunity for leveraged and emergent outcomes and, if, and exponentially greater returns. And if you want to be a closed business, you're shielded from those options. Um, and so generally, I think as the economy starts to um, understand what to do with, with ecosystems and hive-mindedness and dynamic signaling and meta-filtering and the tools are there and the strategy is there and the ability to understand it better is there. I think business, all businesses are going to become social businesses. And then soon we won't call them social businesses anymore. We'll just call them businesses. Um, but it's, a, it's something that I think everybody's struggling with. I don't have a specific answer for you. I, I, I recommend a strategic approach, though. Go ahead. Just shout it out. So how does social business design correlate to like the technical aspects of the semantic web? Because the semantic web ties heavily into like this hive mind aspect um, concept that you described. Um, you know, I wish I was so smart enough to, to opine on the semantic web. Um, I wish we had semantic will here. Where's, where's semantic <laughs> will when we need him? He says uh, hello. <laughs> send him my love. Um, it, it, if, if I understand the semantic web proper, correctly, what you're talking about is a, is a system that that 
automatically interprets and, and is able to adjust itself to the semantics of what's going on on it. Um, and my sense is, is that, that social business design or social business is absolutely the way in which the semantic web is going to um, be pervasive inside business. It's, it's, where, it's where things will go. It, um, but if businesses aren't willing to be hive-minded and they're not willing to embrace open ecosystems and if they're not willing to uh, dynamically signal and they're not willing to figure out how to filter stuff, um, th then they're not going to embrace the semantic web and, th and that's going to push the development of the semantic web off a ways further than it is today. Yeah. Got time for a couple more? Yeah, sure. Can all the people who want to ask questions sit on the left side of the room? Hi. Um, I work for a bank. We recently launched an application where employees would uh, submit stories about themselves. Mm -hmm. And it was built into the job model where it was part of their job. Mm -hmm. So up until this point, I always thought of that as a, sort of a negative, in a negative manner because mm -hmm. it was incentivized. It wasn't real user content. But you seem to make the argument that that's okay, that it's okay to incentivize that content. Yeah, I, I think it's okay, and I think it's going to be an imperative uh, to incentivize the. You know, are you talking about personal content about people's profiles and things like that, or? Yeah, they were. Um, employees were asked to submit stories of how they did something good, mm -hmm. um, and it was expected of them to submit X number of stories every month. So mm -hmm. the response was overwhelming. And there's some folks at work who hold that up and say, see, we have this great user-generated yep. content, mm -hmm. um, when really we've just bought, sort of bought the submissions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, let me say this real quick, and I hope everybody will take this. This is my favorite quote. It's early. We are early in this social business thing. Um, we're really early. We're a year or two in, two years in, and so I think, you know, I applaud all businesses that are experimenting. And you know what? We're going to fail a lot. If you looked at the McKinsey study that was out, I think two years ago, on how biz big businesses were adapting or adopting social technologies and what they were doing with them, I think it was like a 22 or 23 percent success rate, or at least perceived success rate. And you couldn't even define or measure what any of the success success factors were. They weren't defining them by number of cases shipped or revenue increases. They were defining them in really fuzzy terms. And this year, the McKinsey study that came out to do the same same sort of thing sort of showed a much bigger and much more improved numbers um, and more measurable components and more definitive ROI tied to those components. So it's early. Um, your business may not have figured out yet that and, and the employees in the business have not may, maybe figured out a way to incentivize hive-mindedness. And so they're experimenting with, it's part of your job, this is what you have to do, you have to submit stories once a month, and that's what you're going to get you know, compensated on. And I think that's fine for now. It may not be pretty and it may not be efficient yet. Um, I think over time, businesses are going to, people are going to figure out that, that it's better to, to participate, it's better to share, it's better to connect, it's better to put those stories up there. It's how Wikipedia becomes the largest, most powerful encyclopedia on the planet because it's better if everybody contributes. I think, you know, your bank, when it's connected to a, a functioning ecosystem and when the components in that ecosystem are connected, I think you'll find and everybody will find, I'm hoping, if we're right and I'm not going to get laughed at again, that um, 
that in fact that's the way things should go. And, and it's early, so I, you know, I applaud the efforts and I'm, I'm certain that, that everybody in this room is gonna be part of some organization that's gonna stumble badly. Um, but pick it up again. I mean, we stumbled badly in this effort before. We've, we've stumbled horribly. Um, and now look where we are. There's an enormous amount of opportunity ahead of us and the returns are exponential. One last question. I'll take as many as you got. What's that? You can keep going, whatever. I could, but. Okay, or not. I mean, I'm the last, as long as you don't fall asleep. Um, so I wanted to ask you about this notion of closed and open businesses. Mm -hmm. um, I think in theory, if you have an open business, like all these uh, principles apply. But the, I think the reality of the situation is that many businesses are really closed and have been closed for like 20, 40, 100 years. Um, and not only that, the people within those businesses are incentivized to hoard and, and not to collaborate, not to share. So uh, I'm not entirely sure that those businesses will open up, but I'd be interested to know uh, what techniques you have for changing the culture within those businesses. Yeah. Uh, I agree with you. Inher businesses are now inherently antisocial. Let's just, let's just say it. They don't want to share information. There, there's been careers that have been built on keeping other people down. Um, the industrial economy, you know, now we're in the information or network economy now, the industrial economy was built on, on subjugation. So that's what we're stuck with. The remnants of big enterprise today is the subjugation of people, the subjugation of information. And so you're right, it's closed today. And many businesses don't want to change and many managers don't want to change. And let me say this, I do not advocate 100% openness. I do not advocate every bit of information is freely available for everybody at all times. That is not what I'm saying. That is not a social business. Filtering, filtering, tagging, and sorting and making meaning of that information for the right people at the right time is what I'm advocating. And I think generally speaking, if businesses want to achieve the exponential returns associated with being an open business, you can be open or you can be closed. You're gonna be closed, you'll get squashed. You know? it, 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 isn't, it isn't gonna happen really any other way. Um, and yeah, we're early, again, it may take another 15 years for what we're saying today to come to bear and to bear fruit in the marketplace. But I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, much like we saw businesses move online, and I got laughed out of many, many conference rooms, I got laughed out of many, many boardrooms, we, you know, when we were saying the same thing about the digital economy and people were gonna sell stuff online, you were gonna buy soda on your phone through the soda machine that had your, wow, that was gonna happen, and you were gonna buy stuff, and they were gonna ship it to you and it was gonna show up because you're gonna buy stuff online and you're gonna trade stocks online. All that, all that, it's taken a while, but I mean, we're here and it's still, and it's happening. Um, I think businesses are gonna open up and you'll see, I think these connected ecosystems that are able to filter, tag, sort, and make meaning of the right information. And once the, once the, the right filtering capabilities are in place and once the right user experiences are designed so that all of these businesses can function properly, they will. And it's going to take a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of everyone here's effort on demanding a seat at the table and demanding that businesses start to think about these ecosystem components as completely interconnected and completely intertwined and meaningful by design. Thank you. Jeff Dachin. To hear even more presentations from the 2009 IDEA Conference, point your browser to boxesnarrows.com and click on the podcast link. There you'll find access to the iTunes feed and more information about each presentation. Our heartfelt thanks to the organizers and sponsors of the fourth annual IDEA conference, the presenters, and of course to the global community. 
We look forward to feedback about future episodes that would be of greatest value to you, our listeners.